Is that better? Okay. Thank you, Logan. <laughs> One other um, aspect that I think at times contributes to this misunderstanding or hijacking, if you will, of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is um, this topic of pragmatism. It's definitely infiltrated the church in some respects. Everyone in general is looking for a silver bullet, if you will. There's certainly no lack of resources for churches or for individuals when it comes to the next best process for church growth. Unfortunately, in a world full of turnkey solutions, in some respects, we've neglected the power of the Spirit. I recently stumbled upon an article that was speaking towards giving. And this article was making an argument that, as we know, giving is all about what we preface in our heart to give unto the Lord. And this article stated that that's not enough. The church needs to explore more entrepreneurial marketing for how we can increase giving in the church. Ugh. Following the effects of coronavirus, many so-called experts continue to tout pragmatic solutions for how we can prepare against the decline, so-called decline, of the church. Whatever happened to a reliance upon 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, which states, For his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Or Matthew 16, it said, states that the gates of Hades shall not prevail against the church. When it comes to what God has granted pertaining to life and godliness, perhaps there's nothing more powerful than the Holy Spirit. On this Pentecost Sunday, what a fitting day for us to celebrate that power of the Spirit. Now, I might say here briefly that there's three key major areas of the doctrine of the Spirit that we will not have time to explore here today. And with that being the Spirit's work in creation, which we clearly see in Genesis chapter 1. Or the Holy Spirit and how He moved men to pen His inerrant, inspired word. We see that in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. And then, of course, the fact that God reigns upon the just and the unjust. This reality that the Spirit does bring common grace even upon unbelievers. Nevertheless, my primary focus for today is for us to examine what is the Spirit's role for individuals in this church age. Not only to answer how he's working, but how that working applies to life application. What does that mean for us in order that we might be fruitful, productive, obedient believers in Christ, embracing that power that, that we have access to? For example, how many of us at times have lacked confidence in the area of evangelism, the proclamation of good news? It's key. It's critical. It's the Great Commission. What about our ability to understand the Scriptures, to rightly divide them, to see what they are saying for us in our lives, for the church? I know we all at times struggle with a pursuit of holiness, if we're honest. We wrestle with this flesh that one day, in glorification, we will no longer wrestle with. How many of us at times struggle with our place in the body? How we might be used here at Miriam Christian Chapel? Or finally, do we at times just simply feel tired? And our life tank, if you will, is just empty. 
in each of these six questions, the power of the Spirit provides answers on how He is working today. And in turn, how we might apply that. Whether it's pragmatism, charismaticism, whatever it may be, the greater issue lies within our utter dependence upon the grace of God and the Holy Spirit. A neglect of this need of the Spirit in our lives. That's why it's so important for us to take this time on this special day to embrace it, to celebrate it, to seek it. Would you stand with me, please? As we read from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, many of you are familiar with it, given to the disciples, but still with principles for us here today regarding the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 reads, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Thanks be to God for his word. You may be seated. Our first answer to the question, how does the Spirit work today, is number one, regeneration and conviction. I mentioned that some of us at times lack confidence in our proclamation of good news, evangelism. That being said, in that concern, have you ever felt as though you simply just don't have all the answers to the questions? Well, let me encourage you. No one, if they're honest, has all the answers to the questions. This applies to the unbeliever as well. We'll see here shortly why this is actually a tremendous encouragement for us in our own witness for Christ. When it comes to the unbeliever, why does he lack Answers concerning spiritual matters. Listen to the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. And let me give just a slight plug concerning this passage in regards to our upcoming combined Sunday school class examining the topic of evangelism in June. This is a passage that we'll spend much time in and will be a great encouragement for us. Paul says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The unbeliever is blind in the same manner that each and every one of us understood or understand from our past, if we are in Christ today, that we were once blind, spiritually dead, utterly unable to remedy our lost condition. Nevertheless, in our depravity, the Spirit supernaturally convicted you of the sin in your life and your need for Christ. John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8 reads, But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And He, when He comes, will convict the world concerning sin righteousness, and judgment. Or in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, we hear, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. When it comes to evangelism, this should be a tremendous encouragement 
confidence builder for all of us. In the following verses of that 2 Corinthians chapter 4 passage, Paul goes on to say that we simply preach Christ and God opens blind eyes. Praise be to God. What a confidence builder. I don't need all of the answers. They are blind in their trespasses and sins. I preach Christ and it is God who opens blind eyes. The power of the Spirit is our strength when it comes to gospel proclamation. Paul said the following in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. He said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. In my message, in my preaching, were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Do you hear that massive, motivating truth? There's no comparison to the wisdom of men as compared to the power of God found in His Holy Spirit. Ultimately, we find our confidence in the reality that is only through the Spirit that regeneration and conviction takes place. We proclaim Christ and the forgiveness of sins, and the Spirit henceforth will bring forth those whom He has called. We see this in the golden chain of redemption. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Absolute perfection in the Father's work, in the Son's work, and in the Spirit's work. A golden chain of redemption that can never be broken. Now, one thing I've noticed since arriving here in north in, northeast Indiana, as opposed to my time in Cincinnati area, you can't escape a steady dose of strong wind. In some respects, technology has afforded us the, afforded us the opportunity to harness that wind for many useful benefits as you drive across 30, State Route 30, you see all of those turbines. Pretty cool. With that being said, whether it's the wind of a tornado or a hurricane or nature in general, ultimately that cannot be controlled. The wind, along with the world in which we operate in, is under the sovereign hand of God. Jesus used this as an example in describing the work of the Spirit in regeneration. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. John 3, beginning with verse 5, I'll read through verse 8. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, when it comes to this regenerating work of the Spirit, there's yet still another tremendous benefit. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, which we read several weeks ago in Matthew chapter 5, that blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
the Apostle John, James tells us that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. We see the ultimate example in humility in Philippians chapter 2 and the attitude of Christ. In that section, if you recall, as we went through it, we were actually commanded to have this same type of attitude. When we fully understand the sovereign work of the Spirit in regeneration and conviction, that God has taken a heart of stone and transformed it into a heart of flesh, an appreciation of this great regenerating work of the Spirit is so much sweeter. Better yet, it allows us and causes us to proclaim with absolute confidence Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that our boast is solely in Christ alone. An acknowledgement that we are the clay. He is the potter. Shape me, Lord. Mold me, Lord. Use me in whatever way you see fit. One way that we become better equipped to be used of the Spirit is to know Him more. Let's take a look at our second answer in regards to that truth. The second answer for how the Spirit works today is illumination. Illumination. I'll define that term here shortly. As many of us prepare for the upcoming summer months, some of us are potentially planning a trip to a beach, hopefully. I know I'm thoroughly looking forward to doing so with my grandchildren in July. Even if not, when that summer sun begins to beat down, hopefully many of you will be taking measures to protect yourself from that sun. Perhaps those of us that are follically impaired may need to take more measures. Don't laugh. I see some others out there. <laughs> you might be thinking, what does illumination have to do with sun lotion? Illumination is the lotion that equips and protects you. It's a sort of special type of anointing, not in the charismatic sense, as we clearly outlined last week. Now let's examine just a couple scriptures for clarification. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, we read, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. And then down in verse 27 of 1 John chapter 2, we read, As for you, the anointing which you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things that is true and is not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you abide in him. Or turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 21 and 22. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. This word anointing is like an ointment that is rubbed or smeared upon. It was often used as a word for religious ceremonies of dedication or consecration. It's this illuminating work of the Spirit 
that equips us to discern the spiritual truths from Scripture. That is what this word illumination is. Furthermore, it protects us from being tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine or trickery of men, as Paul states in Ephesians chapter 4. From the moment of salvation, we're baptized once and for all in the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And then, it's that Spirit who enables us to grasp His truth through His revealed Word. That's key. Through His revealed Word. Turn back to 1 Corinthians. We were in 2 Corinthians. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll look at verses 10 through 13. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Unfortunately, there are many that look for subjective types of illumination, as we discussed last week. But the true work of the Spirit will always point us back to His revealed word and truth. Listen to the words of John 16, verses 12 through 15. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. The revealed word. The Spirit brings forth illumination. A special type of anointing that equips us to rightly divide that truth and in turn be protected against the trickery of men. One other point is critical for us when it comes to illumination. The Spirit is not illuminating His Word for us in order to simply fill our intellectual toolbox. We saw that in Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, when we looked at the difference between dwelling on righteousness and then learning righteousness, and then practicing righteousness. We saw that the God of peace would be with us in our fight against anxiety when we're actually practicing righteousness. All that to say, God desires our whole self, not just our mind, but our hearts as well. The illuminating work of the God of peace, the Holy Spirit, is not just about spiritual understanding, but the actual purpose that it creates. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, we read, If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Sobering truth, but a reality of what the Spirit desires, contrary to that, from us, that we would practice the truth. 
And our third answer, we'll see the purpose behind that illumination. The question, once again, is how does the Spirit work today? The third answer is sanctification, growing in holiness. Within this culture, we fully understand the letters D-U-I. Actually, some of us in this room, even here recently, just experienced a sobriety test firsthand, closer than what I've ever experienced, just right outside back of the church. Unfortunately, a young woman was pulled over for driving under the influence. Alcohol is known to influence individuals in what they say, how they think, and what they do. For this woman, thankfully, the only consequence that came to bear for her was being arrested and not herself being hurt or anyone else. Paul uses a similar analogy in order to connect a positive desire to being under the influence or filled with the Spirit. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, 18, common verse reads, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. If we understand that sanctification, growing in holiness, is a work of the Spirit, then being filled with the Spirit will be essential in our desire for His influence. When it comes to common fruit of sanctification, at least within our passage here, look at the following verses, verses 19 through 21. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with our heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So, if we truly desire to pursue holiness, to be sanctified by the Spirit, we will be a people filled with a spirit of song, while giving thanks, humbly submitting to others, Catch that reference to humility again? And our appreciation of the sovereign power, sanctifying work of the Spirit, we're driven to count others as more significant than ourselves. Paul will go on in that passage in Ephesians chapter 5 to talk about what that looks like when a between a husband and a wife. Humility. A beautiful, wonderful sovereign work of the sanctifying spirit of God or what about that great passage on the fruit of the spirit we know it Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23 we read but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such things there is no law As we experience the Spirit's illuminating work, we cannot help but experience the Spirit's desire to produce that fruit in us. Life can certainly be a struggle at times. Unhealthy relationships that challenge us in our ability to even care. Circumstances that rock our world and cause us to despair, anxiety that locks us in shackles, environments that only contribute to our aggravation, or life in general that at times contributes to an attitude of harshness, meanness, 
or just simple disregard of others or life. Each of these struggles serve as an antonym to the fruit of the Spirit. Direct contradiction. If you can relate, which all of us in this room can, take comfort that when filled with the Spirit, He enables you to practice righteousness, to practice the fruit of the Spirit, to exhibit love and peace and joy and patience with your spouse, with your children, with your grandchildren, with your co-workers. That is the sanctifying work of the power of the Spirit in your life. Will we embrace it? Will you say, Pastor John, how do I do that? I get it. You think early 20th century Bible teacher had this to say. Those who are directed by his divine spirit are moved to examine their hearts and take frequent notice of their ways, to mourn over their carnality and perverseness to confess their sins and earnestly seek grace to enable them to be obedient. Once again, I don't have any pragmatic solutions for us here today and how we might do this. I don't have any advice that would appeal to subjective listening to the Spirit of God. However, what I do have is the simplicity of the power of the Spirit found in His revealed external Word of God. As Pink states, live a life that consistently desires to examine your heart. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourself to see that you are in the faith. This will indeed create an attitude of repentance and a hatred of the sin in our lives. Hide God's word in your heart and the Spirit will certainly illuminate its truth, its sanctifying truth. He will empower you to practice the fruit of the Spirit as opposed to the lusts of the flesh. That's power that we need. Our fourth answer to our question today is that the Spirit is the gift giver. He is the gift giver. I mentioned previously that perhaps some of you at times struggle or wonder, what is your place in this body? How might you serve here at Miriam? For some time now, corporations have used personality studies in order that you might be more equipped, better in tune with what are your strengths. To some extent, these have become very effective for employees and understanding their individual strengths. When it comes to the body of Christ, it is the spirit that is the ultimate determiner of your gift. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7 read. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. There are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Skip down to verse 11. But one in the same Spirit works all these things 
distributing each one individually just as he wills. Now, before we briefly look at some gifts, I want us to take notice of just a couple points here. First from verse 7 concerns the significance of the common good. As we contemplate the gifts that the Spirit has given to His people, verse 7 once again says, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, we hear how we are called to not forsake the assembly. And that that is meant in order to cause us to stir one another on to love and good works. Throughout our study in Philippians, we've seen the importance of the fellowship of Christ. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, we hear Paul call us to bear one another's burdens. We saw last week, during the apostolic age, that the gift of tongues was for public edification. The primary point for us is this. The body needs your gift and you need the gifts of the body. The common good. And this leads me to the second point. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 states that the Spirit distributes these gifts to each one. My friends, whether it's the gift of wisdom, knowledge, faith, discernment, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, or mercy, the Spirit has gifted each and every one of you, if you are in Christ, with at least one of these. And we can go to Romans chapter 12 as well, but we won't go there today. Perhaps some of you have several, not just one. Even before Paul's list in Romans chapter 12, he begins that chapter with, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. How might we present our bodies as a sacrifice? While using what the Spirit has gifted us for the common good. Seek the Lord through prayer. Seek godly counsel for help in identifying those gifts. Ask two questions. Where do I find the greatest joy in serving the body of Christ? What area do I receive edification from others? That perhaps speaks to a gift that the Spirit has given to you for the common good. In our discussion on anxiety, we examined how practicing righteousness often creates a focus upon others, not just ourselves. This will certainly help us to take our eyes off of ourselves concerned more about the common good. This truth will continue to pave the way in our use of gifts for the common good rather than the individual gain. In our fifth answer, we'll see how these answers serve together to fortify us deep within the recesses of our souls with an intimate relationship like no other. The fifth answer is assurance. Assurance. One of the precious privileges afforded to a pastor is the responsibility of marrying a man and a woman. In the giving of rings, the groom and the bride are asked if they have any pledge that they might faithfully perform these covenantal vows. The ring serves as a pledge 
that the two have become one flesh. What God has brought together, let no man separate. With that in mind, listen to the words of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. When tempted to despair, we must not forget that the Holy Spirit has sealed us and made an unbreakable pledge of our inheritance to come. a lack of assurance, or deep despair is something that has affected even the strongest of men. Listen to these words from Charles Spurgeon himself, the Prince of Preachers. He said, Fits of depression come over the most of us, usually cheerful as we may be, We must at intervals be cast down. The strong are not always vigorous. The wise not always ready. The brave not always courageous. And the joyous not always happy. We've all been there. In some respects. However... Spurgeon also stated, I find no better cure for that depression than the trust in the Lord with all my heart and to seek to realize afresh the power of the peace-speaking blood of Jesus and His infinite love in dying upon the cross to put away all my transgressions. my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. If there is anyone here today who understands the plight of that first quote from Spurgeon, rest assured that the power of the Spirit is working. Comfort within the caverns of your soul like no other. That being said, Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. For this precious section of Scripture regarding the power of the Spirit and His work of assurance in our lives. Romans chapter 8. Follow along with me in verses 14 through 17. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing. I'm sorry, guys, I did it again. Give the preacher grace. Romans chapter 8. As I read that, I I, I heard Paul's Romans 7 there. Romans 8, beginning with verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we also may be glorified with him. We've mentioned this before, this term, Abba. 
Such a sweet, precious term, an Aramaic term within our context, similar to the word daddy. That the Spirit creates in us an opportunity to have that type of intimacy and assurance is beyond comforting. In addition, further down in verse 27, we see how the Spirit is the one who intercedes on our behalf. And then that great comforting truth of verse 28, that he's working all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And then as we've already referenced in the golden chain of redemption, in verses 29 and 30, what assurance, what more assurance do we need than that? All of that to say, the great comforter will never leave you nor forsake you. He has sealed you, pledged according to the Father's divine decree that you will be preserved. Rest in that truth. Rest in that power. Often struggles with assurance transpire when we feel as though we're at the end of our rope. Let's briefly look at our final answer for strength to carry on and rest in the power and work of the Spirit. And that is one word, power. For this final answer, I simply want to look at one of Paul's prayers concerning that power. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. The last week we discussed some of the context of this passage. In chapter 2, the foundation of the church. In the beginning of chapter 3, the mystery being revealed in Christ. And then so to close here this morning. Listen to the words of verses 14 through 20. On this Pentecost Sunday, will we embrace this power? Will we pray according to this power that we might be used for the common good, for the benefit of the body, for the glory of God? Verses 14 through 20. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth what is the length and the height and the depth? And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. My brothers, my sisters, fellow workers, fellow soldiers, hide this prayer in your heart. Stand upon the power of the Spirit. Do not run from this precious doctrine, the precious person of the Spirit that indwells us and equips us for His glory and for the benefit of the church bow with me in prayer.
Holy Spirit, we are humbled before your word here today. As the apostle said in that prayer that we just read, he bowed his knees before the Father. He understood the power that enables us to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of your love for us. Lord, you came to live a perfect and sinless life, to suffer and die upon a cross for your people. Yet when you resurrected from the grave, ascend to be at the right hand of the Father, you did not leave us without your comforter. And now, Holy Spirit, you indwell us here today as believers. Help us to practice righteousness by your power. Help us to reflect upon the truth that you have regenerated our darkened hearts, which leads us to live a life of humility and service unto others. Illuminate your truth to us, Holy Spirit, in order that we might be a sanctified people, in order that we might embrace the gifts that you have given to us for the common good, in order that we might rest in the assurance that only you can give and live with a power that is beyond compare. In the precious name of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, we pray.